Welcome to episode 37 of the Creative Strings podcast. My special guest today is a multi-instrumentalist, producer, composer. I honestly like to think of him as almost like a modern-day Bach. His name is Hamilton Hardin. During this episode, you're not only going to get brilliant insights from Hamilton into his process, but also we have um, included so many clips that are astounding clips of his original music which feature him playing all the tracks writing producing arranging just unbelievable you've got to stick around and hear this episode hello and welcome to the creative strings podcast i'm christian house violinist educator and music business entrepreneur i hope these interviews will inspire you to be creative in your life, in your art, in your business, in every way. So without further ado, let's get to it. So I've just uh, finished wrapping up the entire 2019 season of Creative Strings workshops. We were in, I think, six cities around the world. And man, I'm just coming up from having been exhausted, it was um, incredible, though, it, in so many ways, just incredible experience. And now we are gearing up at Creative Strings for the next season, the 2019-20 season. And we're really excited about the workshops. We're going to be adding new cities, hopefully somewhere in Asia this year, uh, in late May. Also, potentially in New York City and a few other cities. But we already have our Columbus, our Asheville and our European main um, events scheduled. So if you go to christianhouse.com or creativestrings.org, you can definitely mark your calendar, get your ticket, share it with friends you know, and or reach out to me if you have any questions, chris at christianhouse.com. And there's a couple things I want to turn your attention to before we jump right into the interview. Number one, the clips that you're going to hear in this interview, that's half of why I want to share this so that you can hear these clips. Hamilton not only plays, I would say, 95% of all the instruments on every track, but he also composes, arranges, mixes, and produces. It's really astounding. Just bear that in mind when you hear these clips. Also, the insights that Hamilton brings, it speaks to one of the central themes of this podcast, which is that for us as musicians or creatives, we can learn so much by hearing from other musicians that have a different experience than ours so we can enrich our own perspectives and hopefully bring something new uh, to our work you've come to be playing 13 instruments now on and uh you were really inspired by uh psalms psalms 13 yeah. this per particular verse in the bible particular scriptures and you got you read the words and you felt an emotion from that and that's where the song came from so exactly. we're going to go ahead and listen to that really quickly. Psalm 13. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? With sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O oh Lord my God. Mm -hmm. 
my time of because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. I will wait until you speak our way. I'll wait until you come. I'll wait for you. I'll trust in your great love until you come. I will I'll wait, I'll wait till you come out, wait for you. I'll trust in your great love until you come. Oh Lord, I
So we've we've heard that first song. I want to give people a chance to listen to a lot of your music, um, and and this your latest album that you did. Can you let us know the title of that and where people can find it? Sure, it's called uh, Just Want to Say, and it's on all the major digital downloadable formats. So iTunes, Amazon, uh, Google Play. Just wanna say, and we're going to link to that on the show notes page at ChristianHouse.com. Just go to the blog at christianhouse.com and look for links to, we're going to try to link up some videos from Hamilton Hardin's YouTube channel as well. Wanted to ask you about practice, your practice routine, also your composing regimen. Want to ask you a few different questions today, but before we do, can you give us one other song and maybe set it up from, from your latest record, Just Want to Say? I love the record, man. It might be my favorite record in the history of the world man i mean Thanks. For, for me personally i'm sorry and, and you know and we joke about this i mean we i think that we know each other good well enough that i can kind of make this joke about it but what i've yeah. said to you before is that like you know you'll make a believer out of any jazz musician and you'll uh -huh. make a jazz musician out of any christian you know because your uh -huh. music is so compelling and I kind of, you know, I kind of say that in a laughing spirit, but I, but I kind of mean it though too, because it, it moves. You know, I, I'm not necessarily like a, a born again or a saved. I don't consider myself necessarily a Christian, um, except for my name. But when I hear your music, <laughs> the irony is. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's cool. But but I mean, your music. I have to say, it moves me on a spiritual in a spiritual way. I feel. I feel like it moves me in a spiritual way, and and that's why I want I want people to, to to know your music, whether or not they're into Christianity, whether or not they're into jazz. But I think it's a great opportunity for people that might not be connected to this or that to get hip to something. I mean, I'm guessing that for you, I'm curious about this actually, um, since you've had a lot of experience in the church, growing up in the church, being a, a musical director in a lot of churches. How do people in the church react to, you know, your music? Since it is more, I don't know, I want to say maybe complex or outside of the mold of, of quote unquote, uh, your normal gospel music. Like, do you get a mix of reactions about that? Yeah, I get a mixed reaction. Most of the people that enjoy, uh, I think, my music the most are actually Christian musicians. Um, I think for the non-musician their concept of what gospel music or the gospel to music should sound like is based upon their the experience, how they've grown up in their church background. And sometimes it's it can be a little off-putting if it doesn't sound like the what's on the radio top 10 for gospel music, Christian music. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, okay, so tell us another song we can check out, if you don't mind, and, and maybe sure. turn it up a little bit for us. Yeah, well, my, my next favorite song actually features one of my good friends, one of my favorite musicians uh, on the face of planet Earth, Mr. Christian House himself. <laughs> the check's in the mail. 
<laughs> who laid down over some pretty complex core changes, by the way. He just sort of looked at it and said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> and so uh, this song is called Something's Gotta Give. And once again, it features Christian House on electric violin. <laughs> you got you surprised me with that one. I, I, <laughs> okay, we're going to listen to something. Well, I'm going to just say a little bit what I remember about this song a little bit, if you don't mind, since since yeah. you since you caught me with that. I I remember that this song has has a, a long form. I would describe yeah. you know compared to most jazz tunes or whatever. It's very there's a lot of sections. There's some odd meters. There's meter changes, you know, there's textural changes. And and I remember it was hard for me to learn to play. Okay, so that's all I'm going to set it up with. But we're going to listen to Something's Gotta Give off of Hamilton Hardin's record, Just Wanna Say. Let's listen. Hopefully you can tell we put hours of work into these episodes to make them good for you. Um, and I want to thank our sponsors for supporting us and making that possible. We depend on Yamaha, and music educators depend on Yamaha. Um, not only do they make uh, great electric violins and electric cellos, electric string instruments, acoustic string instruments, uh, but they're an amazing resource to music educators. And speaking of resources, I can't tell you how many times I get questions every week that has to do with electric strings. Everything from pickups, amplifiers, um, EQ settings, effects, looping, whatever it might be. I always tell those people the same thing I'm telling you right now, which is call Electric Violin Shop. You can just go to electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings. Their phone number is right there. Just call them and they will answer all your questions. You know what? I'm even going to make it easier. I'm just going to give you their phone number. It's 866-900-8400. Again, 866-900-8400. Those guys are so friendly and helpful over there. It blows my mind. There's no um, better way to answer all the questions I get every week. So please give them a call. Let them know I sent you, and uh, they'll, they'll treat you right.
So as I was thinking about interviewing you, and even before I was thinking about interviewing you, um, I was just thinking about you, and I was thinking about your music, and it, it occurred to me that in some ways, trying to explain to people who maybe don't understand what you do or, or your music, maybe they don't know jazz music or they don't know fusion or they don't, you know, they're, um, the best analogy I could come up with was Bach, for me personally. Because mm -hmm. when I think of Bach, and here's why, because when I think of Bach, he was incredibly prolific. He wrote music like, basically from what I know, like every week for church. Yeah. And, and back when Bach was writing, you know, it was a lot of like, he had to like write it out, like write it out, you know. And that to me is just a way of comparing something for, especially for like for classical musicians who yeah. might be like, well, what's this music? Like Hamilton Hardin's music, like how can I relate to it? If they haven't mm -hmm. grown up listening to gospel music or fusion. It reminds me of Bach because I think Bach was so motivated by writing music for, for God and for worship and for spiritual celebration and those sorts of things. Is that, would you say your music is motivated in that way or how would you describe your motivation? No, I definitely, I, I, I uh, would not deny that at all. It's definitely motivated by how I feel about God and how I feel about his word um, and, and when I read it <clears throat> or ponder and think about it, it invokes emotion. And for me, like I, I think I said before, music is an extension of emotion. For me, where words like stop, like where words can't express, that's where music sort of takes over. And I think words sort of do the opposite. Sometimes music can go to an extent you can't express it and you just words pour out. I think it's a, a sort of that, that journey of expression, but everything that I do musically from, from a originality standpoint comes from my relationship with God and how, how that makes me feel on a daily basis. And I think sometimes what people, at least a lot of Christian music doesn't deal with is the good, the bad, the ups and downs. And so I try to give that roller coaster. I tried to give that roller coaster on uh, my record just want to say there's a lot of things like that psalm 13 song i'm sure you heard a lot of the, the lyrical expression um that came from the psalms where he was saying god where are you like i don't i don't feel you right now and a lot of christians are almost sometimes scared to even uh admit that we feel that sometimes sometimes you don't feel god sometimes you feel an overwhelming sense of him and sometimes you're like where are you at and there is frustration involved in that and that's why that song expresses that something's got to give expresses really my desire to step up uh, my commitment to god because it wasn't where it should be and so it's like you know what something's got to give and so lyrically saying that the way the music comes i know you talked about the different forms but really i i, I try to approach a lot of the record from not doing anything cliche and not following a form and so this one's really that one was really through composed but i think i try to make all of that imagery of what my emotional emotions and my thought processes are, are taking me that's beautiful and, and and i guess one of the reasons that resonates for me is because i think that to be for us for anyone who's a musician or who has any art we need to feel passion we need to feel inspiration and yeah. motivation to do the kind of work that it takes to practice one instrument let alone to play 13 instruments and write music and arrange and do all the mixing and produce a record like i mean to me it's a herculean feat that you've accomplished 
this record. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. You've set an incredible bar. Again, that's why I think of this analogy to Bach, you know, and that resonates with me because I think like, oh, a strong belief in God, that could be the kind of thing that would give someone the strength and the motivation to work so hard to get something done. I mean, I'm in awe of you, man, because I, I, I just think there's so much work that had to go into a record like this. And I wonder how people can learn, how other musicians can learn from your example to put that level of commitment and dedication into their music. I, I wonder if I could ask you just a, a question sort of connected to not only how you're motivated to to do this work with your music when it comes to your original music, right? But then what is the purpose of that and what is the value of the music? How do you see the purpose of the music and or the value of the music? Because you don't just write it just to write it, I presume. Like mm -hmm. what, how do you envision that music having value in the world or having a purpose in the world? Yeah, well, if I were to create all the music and just keep it on my hard drive and say, whew, I did it. <laughs> then, then I, I honestly, I don't think for me, I wouldn't feel fulfilled. It, it's not just getting it out of me. It's, it's also, uh, I want to impact someone's life. And generally with artistic music, there's only a certain crowd of people that are emotionally open enough to receive stuff. That's not the top 40 hits on the radio. Generally, they have to be a little more artistically um, or have a palate for it, have a taste for it. And so I do know, I know intentionally and I'm and unapologetically that the music that I do is not cookie cutter. It's not cliche. It's not what the mainstream uh, listening audience would gravitate towards. And I'm fine with that. I think everyone is given a, at least on uh, on the artist side, everyone is given uh, a sound that's original to them. And I feel like you're given that for a purpose. And th that purpose is to reach the people that it's intended to reach. I don't know who that is. I've a lot of times been surprised. I've gotten a lot of mail from overseas, uh, emails from South Africa, London, Japan, you know, places that I, I never really, I didn't really write this and say, Oh, Japan's gonna love this. <laughs> That's not that wasn't the 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 goal, but it's touching people in different ways. I've had over probably a dozen people that say that have said uh, certain songs have saved their marriages. Uh, a few people have told me, listen to the music that I did, uh, turn them around from about to commit suicide. Like you just don't know how it's going to touch you, or I'm sorry, touch others. I just know that when it's on something's a melody or something's on me strong enough, I got to put it out and I got to get it to as broad as a audience as I can. And out of that broad audience, the ones that are supposed to get it will get it. I love that so much, man, because, and, and I, you know, I talk with a lot of musicians and I feel this sometimes this sort of insecurity as a creative artist or, or an original artist, this idea that, well, nobody's going to like it. But you're mm -hmm. right that somebody will, like yeah. somebody is going to resonate with whatever you have to say. Yeah. I don't care who you are. It, I, it could be a four-year-old playing mm -hmm. a trumpet for the third time in their life. Right. It's going to mean something to somebody. Something is, somebody's going to be touched by that. I really believe that, and yeah. and I think it's so important. And and what I hope for listeners, you know, whether or not 
they 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 believe that they can save someone in the biblical sense or in a in a Christian or a religious sense. Sure. I think it's important for us to reflect on that our music has value, that it will have meaning to someone. And even yeah. if you put it out on YouTube and there's only ten people that watch it, like it shouldn't matter, right? I mean, what do you think about that? I mean no, I mean, it, it sort of goes down to what's your motive for making it. For a lot of people, and I, this is not a um, a judgmental statement, I think it's just where your motives are. Some people use their music, musical talent, and they really see, I want to be famous. And that's... <laughs> I'm being funny. Hold on, hold on a second. Let's go. Let's go. I'm not being funny. <laughs> but when some, when, when some people... Like, as soon as they learn, like, they pick up a guitar and they learn four chords. And they play, they learn <laughs> the fingerings and stuff. And they're like, man, it's time to <laughs> Oh, but, but, you know, it's, it's, and there's different levels that some people really get their skills good and they get on stage and they, you know, they learn how to work out arrangements and, and work choreography with the things and they, they succeed, they become famous. And that is the motive for that. Um, if they don't, if they, if they don't achieve fame and they don't achieve notoriety, then it's like, I'm a failure for me. Fame. I think when I was in my late teens, that was sort of a thing. Like I'm going to be the one I'm going to be known for being such and such. But then you sort of get into the real world and you find out there's a lot of people out there that can play better than you, faster than you, can do whatever you think you can do better. And so you sort of start, at least for me, I started honing into what is what are the things that make my music uh, individualistic. And then how can I take those individualistic characteristics and put it into what I consider me that doesn't sound like someone else? And, you know, that, that's sort of a motive for me. Like, how can I be as original and as true to what I feel in the music, whether it's fame or not? Like, for the next... I have, I have music right now that's in my head that I'm trying to flush out either on, you know, in Sibelius and, and score it or start rec the recording process. But a lot of the music that I have now, I know my next record I'm going to either sell for, or uh, put out there for free or... Um, or like attach like 100% of the proceeds goes to something. Because um, for me, that is the only way I can uh, separate it from being like, okay, I need to make this because people like this. And if they like this, they buy that. And if they buy that, then I'll get rich. For me, I don't want money to be in any... And this is just me. There's nobody... You know, I'm not judging anybody else for whatever. But for me, I don't want money to be a a reason for me to, to write anything, to perform anything on this, on this next thing. I want it all to be true from the heart. So I had to do that for me. Like, I don't want it to make money for myself, but that it depends. That's a long way of saying it, but depends what your motive is for, for making music. But I, I, I love the part that I just want, I love the part that you said about how, you know, not everybody's going to get your music, but somebody will, and it's for yeah. them. And I think that's a really good thing we can take away. Well, there's one song on the record that I'm just remembering, and I'm wondering if you'd be willing to for us to listen to a little bit of us of it and tell us a little bit about it. It's I'm trying to remember the the, the refrain. It's um, I want to hear you say "Well done." Sure, that song. I think I 
entitled it uh, Christian Anthem. But that, once again, is from a passage in the Bible where it's depicted that at the end of time, for those that follow Jesus and for those that, you know, choose his path and accept what he's done, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And those are some of the most important words for Christians that we just long to hear. And so for me, I wanted to once again convey that musically um, where I, I think this is how, how it came out. Like I just sang the melody and, and you know, from there, the melody and then the chord progressions and all that and the form of the song all sort of came out of that one thing. But it originated out of this uh, emotional connection to what, what I was reading. One of the things I remember about the song, and I'm just, it's been a while since I've heard it, but I remember at the end that it goes into a lot of, de- I don't know, development and uh, yeah. reharmonizations and there's a drum solo and it just get, you know, does that have any, maybe I'm, maybe I'm asking a dumb question, but, but does that have anything to do with, is there, is there a correlation? Is there some kind of analogy of all that development that happens in the song, all the reharmonizations? Well, the, the reharmonizations is just because I think um, a lot of times I, it may be because I have musical ADD, <laughs> but a lot of times what I hear on radio and what I hear, which would normally be connected to the the content, uh, the the lyrical content that I was singing, is sort of boring to me. And I feel like there's so much more. Harmony is so beautiful, man. It can say so many things. And so every time something came, came around that was like a repeat, I don't want to say it the same way. I want, to, uh, I want it to unfold in a different way. Love that. I want to, we're going to make sure we play an excerpt from Christian Anthem so that people can hear how you've reharmonized this, this melodic um, sequence in different ways. want to hear him say. Say, 
wanna hear him say, Well done, my good and faithful one. Wanna hear him say, Wanna hear him say, Well done. Saving grace on the streets of glory. Let me lift my voice. Tears of past on the last ever to Here's a question for you. You've, you've taught at my summer workshops a few times, and, and you, we've played so much music over the years that you've gotten really familiar with one of the only instruments you don't play, the violin that <laughs> I play. Um, but you've spent a lot of time with, uh, with classical string players, which is a big yeah. part of my audience, and you've, you know, you've been working with them in combos at the annual Creative Strings Workshop, which we hold every July. Now that you've got this big gig at the big record label, um, you know, you're, you're not... Not necessarily available, which I respect, um, uh, but I know that you've. I'm guessing you have an opinion about this, and I'm curious. What do you think that classical musicians can do uh, specifically to sort of bridge any you know musically cultural or educational divide that they experience as a result of their classical training? I mean, in other words, you know, you grew up learning in church. And I'm and I'm assuming that you learned music in a different way than than I did with my classical training. And so, what what do classical musicians do you think, from your perspective, that maybe classical musicians might miss out on in their classical training? Yeah, I think it's it's just how you acquire, like you already hinted to it, how you acquire the music. So whether you are an oral learner or a visual learner, um, you it's fine to start wherever you start. I think where the, the bridge for me, like I started strictly playing by ear, uh, like you said, in the church and then playing in jazz clubs. And I started <clears throat> uh, high school, you know, obviously in, in band programs, the reading thing started coming up slowly. But it was after I've already been playing by ear. And even with music theory, it wasn't really learning new harmonies. It was just putting names to the harmonies I was already playing. And so it would be the inverse for someone who learned visually you would you might see a c minor 6 what make what is the makeup of a c minor 6 but you might not know what the sound is or if someone plays a minor 6 chord uh you might not be able to uh, you know automatically identify it so i think it's just uh you know if you are a visual learner you have to sort of energize the oral part of your brain if you're an oral learner you have to uh, uh, energize the visual part of the brain i know if i if i even though i read if i have gone a long time without reading like it's one of those things if you don't use it you lose it 
it, it's it's a, it's sort of a um, I got to re-energize that part of my brain again to to get that going. But I think for classical players, if you want to get the ear thing happening, it's I think it's sort of simple. Like it's sort of singing. Well, of course it's simple if if you do it. But I would say in the same way that you sing uh, to a commercial, try to play what you're hearing and that skill just comes uh more and more the more you do i I know that sounds simple but i think i can't make it more complex than it is like you just gotta start exercising you gotta start exercising your ears like you gotta start playing what you hear and attempting to do it and that that process becomes more and more fluent i love that yesterday or two days ago i was at the university of north carolina school of the arts and there was a young trumpet player who played a solo over a blues for me and and I said, you know, I, there's a lot of great stuff going on. Your phrasing's great. Your rhythm's great. Um, but I can tell that you're not always hearing everything that you're playing. And so I said, one thing that you could simply do is s- sing what you hear in your head and then try to play that line back. And yeah. I think that's what you're saying, right? You're just saying yeah. s- s- whatever you're hearing, maybe sing it and then try to play it back on your on your instrument, whatever your instrument is. Yeah, I, I think one thing that happens, people will start playing the notes, but then they don't they don't key into some of the intricacies of your voice that happened. So they'll play <laughs> and you played all the notes and maybe the rhythm right, but you don't sing when you sing it. You sing you know, right. so all those little people don't really pay attention to. So I think the more acclimated that you get to playing by ear, then you start paying attention to the intricacies that actually make your instrument almost have a, a vocalized qualities to them. Got you. Do you record yourself or did you used to record yourself to, to, to pick up on those intricacies more as well? I didn't. I didn't, but I think when I, when I did hear recordings of myself, when you hear recordings of yourself, you say one or two things like, ooh, that's sweet, I need to do that more. Or that sounded bad. I should probably stop doing that. So I think recording yourself is something I didn't do, but <clears throat> it's just because probably I, I I wasn't as aware of that as I am now. And if I had to do it over, I would have recorded myself a lot more because it's just the self-analyzation. And then, of course, you know, you get with a teacher or someone that you feel has better ears than you do and is more subjective than you are to yourself. Objective. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Objective. Yeah, sorry. Um, and then you trust their opinion and you sort of hear that and then you sort of learn. I think you learn how to fish rather than just for someone else to get you fish. You learn how to catch fish yourself if we're going to go with that analogy. Awesome. Well, and you talked about, you know, classical musicians building building their ear, the the oral side. Um, yeah. Is there also a groove component of this for that, that that or have you noticed a different sense of groove? From classical musicians or emphasis on or prioritization of groove and is there anything you would you would say about about that for how classical musicians could get more into groove well i'm not sure if it's a classical thing at all or i think there's just musicians so some musicians that i know are great rock musicians that are not classical right when you take them out of the context of rock and you give them a jazz groove or you give them a hip-hop groove, or you give them uh, just something different than they're used to, you don't groove the same way because you don't expose yourself to the, to the music. So I know classical musicians that 
they listen to a lot of stuff more than classical. And so their transition out of classical music into some other things is not that hard for them because they listen to so much stuff. So I say whether you're a classical musician or if you're a jazz musician, some jazz musicians have horrible feels when it comes to like neo soul or something. Like they don't know how to where the pocket is and it's sort of just weird and they try to bebop everything. Or some gospel cats try to over gospelize jazz when it's like, man, like check out some of that <laughs> when you check more of it out <laughs> when you check more of it out, you just develop an ear, you're able to say objectively, Oh, uh, what I just did did not sound like rock. Let me check out some more rock. Got it. You know, let me check out some more whatever. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and I think somebody like you, one of the things that makes you such a complete musician is that you occupy different seats within an ensemble with equal fluency. Like, like being in the bass role is a different idea about, you know, harmonic stability, rhythmic stability, groove versus playing saxophone where you have a melodic role and the drum chair yeah. and the piano chair. Um, well, cool. Well, let's check out another one of your tunes if you don't mind. And maybe if you could t uh, choose one and, and if you don't mind setting it up for us. The one that comes to mind is a song uh, called Keep Lovin'. And um, it's actually a very simple refrain that repeats over and over and over. And the more it repeats, the more it builds and the more it starts to morph into some different things. But the main objective of that, uh, the lyrics go, keep loving, keep loving, keep loving if they love or not. Keep loving if they love or not, because it makes the father smile. And I really wanted to drive the concept home because although it's a simple refrain, lyrically, the ramifications, you don't really you don't really process it until you keep singing it, keep singing it. And you start thinking about the people that aren't loving you back. But, you know, we're as Christians, we're inspired to keep loving. And so I just really wanted to drive that home. And then, of course, musically, let it you know, blossom like a flower and, and sort of see what happens with that. That's beautiful. Okay, we're going to listen to Keep Loving off Hamilton Hardin's album, Just Wanna Say. Keep loving, keep loving, just love them if they love or not. Just love them if they love or not. Cause it makes the father smile Keep loving, keep loving Just love them if they love or not Just love them if they love or not Cause it makes the father smile Keep loving, keep loving just love them if they love or not Just love them if they love or not Cause it makes the Father smile Keep loving, just keep loving Just keep loving, just love them if they love or not No matter how hard it is, keep loving, oh, oh. keep loving, just loving, if they 
We all know there's a lot of upsides and downsides to social media, but one of my favorite things about being on Facebook is when you've got a group that's um, a really healthy community for discussion. You can get uh, questions answered and you can make good connections. And I want to make sure that you know about our Facebook group called Creative String Players. Um, You should join that. But also, there's a great group um, that I've just been blown away with how well they're running it, and it's by our sponsors, Yamaha. It's called Yamaha Music Educators Community. Yamaha Music Educators Community on Facebook. So much great content and support that Yamaha is providing if you're a music educator. Um, Also, another great resource by Yamaha is called Support Ed Magazine. It's a quarterly magazine. You can get a totally free subscription. Again, Creative Strings depends on Yamaha. Music educators depend on Yamaha. And their family too, Electric Violin Shop. (laughs) You go to electricviolinshop.com. I gave you the phone number earlier. Just go to their website. Look them up. Tell them I sent you. They will treat you right. They're an amazing resource, amazing group of people. It's not in vain. No, 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 no. Pray for them, because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Oh, and don't worry about justice, because either God will avenge you, or they've asked for forgiveness, and their sins are nailed to the same cross yours are. So keep loving. I appreciate you, Hamilton, so much, um, and appreciate your time, uh, because I know that right now you have, in the last couple years, you have taken on a really big responsibility professionally. Uh, are you are you cool to share about what your job is now? I mean, the the job that the gig that you're doing now. Is there anything you can share about that? I moved to Memphis in January of 2016, almost two years ago, uh, to become vice president and head of A&R at a record label called Made in Memphis Entertainment. Uh, I'm actually at, in in one of the studio rooms right now, uh, mixing a record. It is primarily pop music, which is something. That if you would have talked to Hamilton five years ago and said, man, you're going to be doing a whole lot of pop music, that guy probably would have laughed uh, because I really didn't. I didn't listen to a lot of uh, stuff that's on the radio. My listening palette and stuff that if you go through my iTunes is very broad. It's forced me to really uh, dig into what's happening on radio right now. And I always tell people, don't make fun of something until you actually try it. Like when I, I remember... Uh, playing drums for a guy named Ryan Cavanaugh, who's an amazing banjo player. He did a lot of bluegrass. And I used to say, bluegrass, ah, <laughs> And then when you actually try to play it, <laughs> you actually start to deal with uh, the, the bluegrass vocabulary, which is really hip. Uh, you do it well, uh, better than 
almost anyone I know, you know, you, you sort of develop a respect for it. So I think the same thing for me, initially it was uh, when I deal with pop music or pop R&B or pop soul or pop rock, whatever, um, it's a lot of times dumbing down a lot of musical ton- content. That's how I sort of viewed it. But then now the art is, as a producer, trying to take a four chord, uh, uh, four chords that repeat, and how can I make this interesting for three and a half minutes? <laughs> you know, it sort of it becomes a different art. Really diving into that, and even on the engineering side, how can I make the mixes uh, competitive to what Beyonce is doing? How can I make my com- uh, mixes competitive to what Bruno's doing, to what Rihanna's doing in that in those lanes without sticking out like a sore thumb? you know, you really start to develop a respect for it. And so I've been doing this now for almost two years. We have about four artists, uh, the first of which we released in September. Her name is Porcelain. So you can go and that's P-O-R-C-E-L-A-N, not L-A-I-N, like Porcelain is normally spelled, L-A-N. And you can check her out. We have a single out called The Real Thing Don't Change on her. And we'll be releasing a whole lot of more music uh in 2018, we have a sort of release schedule. Uh, I encourage everybody to check that out. But basically, been here doing this now and um, really enjoying it. And and you're as A and R vice president of A and R. If if you, if if I heard you correctly, uh-huh. you're um, helping to find new talent. But then you're also really involved in the production of these recordings as well. Is that is that true? Can you talk about your involvement in the production or? So right now, heavily in the production from the state where, you know, we have a staff of songwriters. And so the songwriters have a catalog of over 300 songs now. So the songs that I feel would be good for a certain artist and that the co-producer and I, David Porter, you know, we would we will look at the songs. And from there, creating it from this acapella state that it's in and turning it into this pop mix that you hear on the radio is a long process. And also developing the artist, you know, everyone when they're signed, they think, well, I'm just going to be me. And the the rough reality, if you were just going to be you, you would have already been successful (laughs) (laughs) without being signed. So uh, a lot of them and and the artists, I got to give it up to them. They have been extremely um, uh, open to critique because they have to be. And because we're really bent on shaping artists in the way that's going to be most beneficial for them and give them the, the, the biggest reach in the, in the marketplace. So to answer your question, it's producing the, the sessions for the music, the sessions for the artists, the background vocal sessions, the editing that's involved, the mixing that's involved, you know, the mastering process, all that gets everything from this state, which is the acapella vocal on a demo, to this state, which is playing on the radio. You know, that's it's sort of a, a lot. Literally, you start the songs start out as an acapella, like solo melodic line. Right. So, they'll yeah, wow. they'll write, you know, they write verses or sometimes, you know, we'll take the song and I'll write a bridge to it or I'll add a verse or take away something. Um, that's sort of the co-writing process that happens with our artists. But, um, yeah, putting chord changes to it. Um, and then you can try to be hip and I'll, I'll put this substitution in there and then, but we're also music business. And when you deal with music business, it's different than the personal music that I was talking about this whole podcast. It's about selling music and people, when they hear harmony, that's a little too dense or, uh, chord changes that are a little too, uh, that may be hip to musicians. 
uh, people really are quick to turn off and radios, radio DJs won't even play the music. So we really have to put in the format that gives a little bit of our individuality while at the same time familiar enough to the ear to where it's not off-putting and also trying to be cutting edge at the same time and the right amount of cutting edgeness to where it's not so left that people go, oh, what is that? Oh, a seven chord. Oh, they can actually relate to it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a process. But so far, we've been successful and are getting a lot of great response to the music that we're showing. So as far as the, the biz, your, your, your business is different now because you're, you have one employer. But for many years prior to now, you were essentially self-employed, right? I mean, sure. you, and you worked for different band leaders, different churches, different artists, yeah. whatever. You did your own projects. Would you talk a little bit about, first of all, like what was your business routine in the past when you were self-employed? self-employed? Did you have like a routine or like a hustle or things that you did to try to get work and support your family? Yeah. Well, for me, I, it, it really stemmed from being as diverse as possible, not only with, you know, playing different instruments, but my recording chops had to come up. You know, I, I made more money playing trumpet, which was probably one of my worst instruments than I did doing anything else because of I was able to record myself properly. I could make horn arrangements and then track them, track saxophone and track trumpet, track trombone, uh, sort of give you a faux live section you know, if you will. So that actually was really beneficial for me. But even on the, on, on the live side, being diverse in genres, you know, I could sit down living in Nashville at the time. You got to play country. So being able to, to sound like an authentic country drummer or authentic country bass player, if I walk into a session or, you know, if I'm playing a gospel thing, like if I'm, if I'm doing a church gig or something, I need to sound authentic to the music that's happening on that instrument and not sound like a jazz <laughs> keyboard player trying to play gospel bass. You know, I really had to learn, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I really had to learn how to segment, segment my process and even approach. And so for me, like on certain instruments, like drums is one, bass is one. It generally takes me like a song, either a sound check or the practice to get into the role and even the thought process and switch things to like a bass player things and not a keyboard player trying to play bass or a drummer trying to play bass. It's, it's a real mentality switch. But to be able to do that, I think that's one of the things I really worked on being diverse. And then you can be as diverse as you want to in the world, but if no one knows what you do, that you're just sitting at home diverse. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I really had to work at, you know, social media for me was not really, I'm not like, now that I'm doing what I'm doing now, I rarely post. I'm rarely on Instagram or Facebook. But at the time, Instagram and Facebook was huge for me because I could take a picture of me, a selfie with my saxophone. And then within 48 hours, it guaranteed, you know, someone would call and say, hey, I need a horn section because they saw that. And it just brings you to the top of people's mind. I learned to do certain things like that to put myself out there doing YouTube videos and stuff like that, that sort of showcase some of the things that I did. Because otherwise, if I didn't showcase it, people wouldn't know what I did. You know, in certain parts of the country or the world, I may be known for just one instrument, which is different from another part of the country, the part of the world. And so... In order to say, say, hey, I can do this and this and this and this, I had to showcase it in a way that uh, let people know that. And then, you know, that allowed me to 
to gig and, and make some income doing that. So when you were doing a social, taking a photo on, I think I remember some of these posts, but yep. you know, obviously it would be like you with your all your three of your horns, and I've done a similar thing. You might be sitting in front of a console like you are right now, yep. and like, hey, I just laid down some horn parts. Hit me up yep. if you need something, like like that yep. kind of thing. I'm guessing that that might have been, uh, you might have felt resistance to doing that, but on the other hand, you felt like, well, if I want to work, I better just do it, right? It's not like, because yep. you probably feel like you're you're a humble person, you're a modest person, you don't want to just be showing out all the time. But on the other hand, your family's got to eat. So is, that, is that true? Yeah. Did that go through your mind? Did you feel resistance oh, to it? I mean, your your pride is is your pride, but at the end of the day, Especially for those of us who have families, have children, have spouses, you learn real quickly which is more important, your kids or your pride. The kids should win. I'll say that because <laughs> some, some people are like, yeah, my pride. But uh, I think, in my opinion, that your kids and your family and providing for them should take precedence. And so, you know, you do what you got to do. There's some some gigs I really was bored out of my mind doing, but you know, it paid the bills of some recordings that I was like, you want me to do what? Okay. <laughs> and you I, never, I you never complained. Cause I, I hired you for some of those jobs. I think. Oh, no, man, your stuff wasn't corny though. No, no, no but I mean, there was other clients that I brought on that had, you know, some, Oh yeah, sure. You know, but you never, ever complained about it. You just, yeah, absolutely. I'll do it however you want. You know, right? I set, I set my mics and my drum set up. They'll send this, uh, general MIDI, thing that they want the drums to sound exactly like that play this groove and so i'll play the groove and i'll throw a little something hip in it that i think it's hip and i get a, a email back hey we really want you to stick to it's like okay all right and you sort of learn i think the biggest lesson that you can I, I'll, I'll say this most important thing regarding this subject is give the person what they want if you can always do your own thing on your own records, which is what I did with the music that you've heard. <laughs> but when you're gigging with somebody, when you're playing with somebody, give them what they want. I would say for me, Chris, you were probably the only one I can think of right now that on the gig, what you wanted for was for me to be me. <laughs> There's a lot of gigs, you know, for a lot of like Grammy artists and stuff that I've, I've played for that they what they want is real specific and there's nothing wrong with that because when I do my recordings the people that I bring in I have specific things that I want them to do so I'm not saying that in a negative way but a lot of times like I would play gigs on keyboard with one hand because like for example one singer that I played with had the most sensitive ears to harmony it's I mean more than any musician I've ever dealt with like her ears were so in tune with everything harmonically that if I played a 9 when she just wanted a seven, or if I played like a sharp 13 and she just wanted a major nine chord, she would literally turn her head like that. And I learned to give her what she want. I need to play with one hand. And, and you know what I'm saying? You find, do what you got to do, but always deliver to the person that's hiring you what they want and you will stay working. When you did social media posts, but did you also like reach out to people and ask for work? Did you do one to one sales calls or emails and that sort of thing? Or did you just let did you just let the social media posts speak for you? I think to my recollection I did just let the social media thing speak for that. And then I think over time you develop a reputation um amongst the people that you're working for and then your name gets passed around and you start getting cold calls from people like for this job I'm working out is a cold call. My name was passed around to someone in Nashville. They said, I need a great uh, producer who plays keys. 
He didn't know I played whatever. He said, I need a keyboardist that can produce and blah, blah, blah. Someone threw my name out and I got a cold call. A lot of the work that I ended up getting from Los Angeles or from New York or from across the seas or where came from just cold calls based upon a reputation, along with giving the the person what they want, I will also say, put your foot in everything you do. When I say that, that's slang for give your best. Like, don't just, okay, what you want? Okay, here you go. Like, I, I try to put, I try to give it to them as if it was mine, like, and take what they're doing as seriously as if, you know, how I'm doing it. So I think those tips would help someone to, to work and stay working. That's awesome. I want to ask you one more question, if you don't mind, before we maybe take one other tune and, and uh, I'll let you go. The last question I want to ask you about was, again, about practice. And my question is, when you practice, how much of practice for you is about improvisation or internalizing rhythm or harmony versus technique? Or is it all mixed together? I think it's what I'm, what I'm needing for the time. Like for different instruments, the need is different. Musicians are always on one side of the fence. Either you have a lot of technique and everything you play is boring to yourself and you're not hearing any new vocabulary. Or you've been listening to a whole bunch of vocabulary and you're hearing all this stuff and you actually know what it is but don't have the technical facility to execute it. And so on different instruments, for me, like right now, piano, I'm dealing with vocabulary. Uh, I'm trying to learn new vocabulary, weave through chords in a different way, you know, weave through changes and stuff. On saxophone, I hear a lot, but because I haven't, since I've been here, I haven't been playing as much saxophone as I used to. I need to keep up my chops and, you know, let my chops come up to where my technical facility is actually keeping up with what I'm hearing. Uh, I think it's different for every person. For me, on every instrument, it's different. Is there a is there a certain practice routine that you would recommend to people that they can make more out of their practice time? Yeah, you want to be as efficient as possible. So, for example, uh, like on bass, on bass guitar, I may be working technique and may be working on, say, for example, a harmonic minor scale, right? I'm trying to get a different fingering for that with the fingering aspect of it. On this hand, I'm also going to do work on speed with my articulation hand. So I may be doing da, 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 with this hand. With this hand, I'm doing da, 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 because the older you get and the more responsibilities you get in life, the more your time is going to be demanding. So how can I, with this half an hour, be uh, most efficient as possible? And I think in order to do that, you have to sit without your instrument with a pencil and a pad of paper and write down what you want to accomplish and actually brainstorm how you can be most effective and how I can be most efficient with my practice time. And then with that game plan, then you go. And then eventually you'll just start thinking efficiently. So I love that. So it's really being about like, why am I practicing? Like, what is the goal of this practice session right now? Is it develop, you know, right hand chops or left hand chops or to play faster and nail this certain shift or to, or to internalize this harmony or to come up with new vocabulary. That is brilliant, man. Love to just to check out one more excerpt from some of your music, if you if you could give us one other tune that you that we could listen to and maybe set it up a little bit. 
Sure. The last one that I'm thinking about is uh, a song called By and By. Once again, uh, it was sort of birthed out of like a prayer time that I was having with God, not understanding his mind. And I was frustrated because I'm like, why don't you just tell me? I want to know as much as you, which we all want to be God, <laughs> but we're not. And so it was sort of my uh, his answer to me in that. And so throughout the song, you hear some lyrical things uh, about wanting to understand why God does things. But then, uh, you know, you sort of hear the result and I won't give the spoiling. I won't, I won't give a, do a spoiler alert. I'll just let you hear that. But musically, it does go through some different time signatures. It goes through a lot of different sounds. It's through composed, a lot of guitar lines and saxophone lines that double and do a lot of things. I, that was probably a horrible setup. You might not want to hear it now. I think it's okay. If it's better than I'm explaining it. No, it's great. We're going we're gonna to enjoy this. We're going to listen for that. So we're listening to By and By off of Just Wanna Say by Hamilton Harding. Sometimes life feels fair. Sometimes it doesn't. Whether we understand or don't understand his goodness, God is always good. job last week and got a raise She got hit by a car and only has two days They found 600 bucks riding on the subway He goes to fight a war Guys trying to say Her cancer found the cure Now she's feeling great Their grandpa's help arrived But only too late She paid off all her bills And not one day late His mommy passed away And he's only eight God gives and he takes away He gives and he takes away Oh, oh, oh. Sense 
wanna figure out why. But who can even begin to understand God's mind? Get good, it sounds like simple karma to me. But that isn't what I find in Psalm 73. Job chapter 4, it shows a humble way to see. For a lot of us, you know, as artists and creatives, I think after the summer is the time when we get going. So for us at Creative Strings, we're really making a point to let you know that right now is the time to look ahead and plan um, your big professional development experiences for next year. And we want you to join us at a Creative Strings workshop. We've got Columbus in July. We're going to have Asheville in July. We're probably going to add another Asheville. And we've got Creative Strings Europe. That's going to be in Lausanne, Switzerland in February. You can find all that at christianhouse.com or at creativestrings.org. Or you can reach out to me, Chris, at christianhouse.com with questions about our Creative Strings workshops. We really want to communicate to you far out to make sure that you can come and be a part of these incredible experiences. Okay, man, Hamilton, I want to thank you so much and just acknowledge you for what an inspiration you are to me uh, as a musician, but also as a person. Your, your focus and your commitment to, to making music from this pure and spiritual place, I got to say, is just, it's really humbling to me. Really, really inspiring to me. So I, I, from your music, it not only makes me want to be a better musician, but it makes me want to be a better person. It, it really, you know, you have influenced me to want to be a better person, to want to seek a better spiritual path for myself. And I know that that's a part of your purpose. And I, I want to really acknowledge you and thank you for that. Man, thank you. 
Okay, yeah. so so where where can people find you, Hamilton, if they want to reach you on social media or learn about your music? We're going to have this all at the show notes linked at christianhouse.com. But where else can people find Hamilton Harden? Obviously, I'm on uh, Instagram as Hamilton Harden, so you'll find me there. Please feel free to follow. I also have a fan page, uh, which I'm going to start uh, loading some new things on in 2018, uh, new music and then uh, you know, information as to where, when music's coming out and all that good stuff. You can follow my Facebook page, just Hamilton Harden. Uh, I try not to make myself hard to find. You just look at Hamilton Harden and, <laughs> and it's pretty much there. And then outside of that, of course, like I said before, you can find this record that we're talking about. We just played on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, all the d- digital distribution formats. That's great. And maybe give us one other title um, that we can uh, that we can roll out on. I think what he said to her is sort of a big band thing that I did. And it was something I enjoy doing, which is actually playing all the parts individually, like scoring out a big band chart and then playing all the parts to try to make it sound like it was a live big band. And so I think you'll enjoy this one. On all 13 instruments, arrangements, composition, mixing and production. Hamilton Harden, he said to her. Thanks so much, Hamilton. Thank you. This cool, refreshing water fill your soul. This well of joy brings life to man. One drink and you'll never thirst again. Come and drink, come and behold. Let my life be soaring power take control. No longer thirst, be satisfied. It's the endless well that won't run dry From our Savior's side flows a river of life Free to all who want unfailing love It's more than enough, so come and drink Come and behold Let my life be soaring, power take control No longer thirst, be satisfied Endless well that won't run dry. And finally, I just want to acknowledge you for all the work that you put in amidst the highs and lows of being a creative. Maybe you work for yourself, maybe you work for a school, maybe you work for an organization, but you know, we're not necessarily in it for the money. This is something we do for passion. You know, we're trying to impact people, whether it's through our teaching, whether it's through composing music, creating things, performing. I just want to acknowledge you for what you put into that and um, tell you that, uh, you know, I'm here with you. I'm right there. 
uh, I'm going to read from something that I posted in our Facebook group, Creative String Players, that really seemed to resonate with a lot of you in the group. And this is what I wrote. In my 20s and 30s, I was obsessed with making it as an artist faster, which meant having a gig every night on an important stage. Elder Cats told me something to the effect that it's about the long game, persisting, enduring, sticking around. I didn't really get it. Now at this age, 47, by the way, in case you wanted to know, being able to appreciate a bit more what those elders, what their careers and their lives were actually like, how much of what I perceived as their success was actually them just sticking with it. It was them accepting the process with whatever highs and lows came with it. And now seeing those elders, many of those elders, enter a different phase of their life. I just want to say here's to them. And here's to you. Here's to all of us that are going out every day and uh, trying to give our best in this process to make an impact as creatives, as musicians, as teachers, and trying to get better ourselves and, and enjoy that process. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, stay in touch, all right? I'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you next time.